All right, well, you're very welcome along to the Saturday panel. Shane Hannan here with you, and we're live until 7pm this evening on an extended off-ball. Loads still to come. Ireland versus Scotland, of course, a little bit later on in the Six Nations finale. OTB Football Saturday then, uh, just before that, from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, so slightly earlier uh, than the usual times. But before that, fans of Formula One will know the season opening Bahrain Grand Prix takes place tomorrow, tomorrow Sunday. We have qualifying this afternoon, of course, to look forward to first uh, joining us to look ahead to that and the weekend's action and to, uh, to whet the appetite, I guess, ahead of the new season. Uh, we have Chris Medland, Formula One journalist, whose writing can be found in many places, including Racer Magazine, Motorsport Magazine, and many other spots besides. And Rebecca Clancy, of course, motor racing correspondent at The Times and The Sunday Times. Guys, thanks a million for joining us to look ahead to this crazy season, no doubt. And if it's anything like last season, it will be crazy. But... um. Rebecca, I might start with you. Does it feel like there's an extra buzz around this year, given, I guess, what happened in Abu Dhabi last year and the, the madness and the drive to survive buzz as well? It just seems like this year has a, has a lot going for it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, quite the season to live up to from last year, isn't it? The battle we saw between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. I don't actually know how we can possibly repeat that, but um, we'll certainly give it a good go. We've obviously got Ferrari in the mix this year. They've looked really good in pre-season testing. So if they can be involved, I think we could have a very interesting season. But there's no doubt that Max Verstappen in that Red Bull, they looked really quick. He set the fastest time in Bahrain in the pre-season test last week. Um, so they do look really strong. Lewis Hamilton isn't very confident, actually, at the moment, he was saying in his Mercedes. He said he didn't expect to be competing for wins at the start. That it was too early to have any kind of thoughts about the championship and, and any concerns about whether or not he could battle for it. But, you know, you put these things out on social media and the initial response is very heavy scepticism about it. I'm sure Meadows will agree with me here. We've, we, we all get the same sort of replies where it's, oh, boo-hoo, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, we saw it in last year. Mercedes weren't great in the test and then they won the first race. So I think we have got a lot of expectation for this season. Whether or not it can live up to last year, well, we certainly hope so, but I'm not so sure. Like, from your perspective, Chris, like, <clears throat> Rebecca's touched on something there, that the, the the Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton downplaying of their of their car and of their form, uh, we do see it quite often. And, and I guess some people will point to last year, you know, similar kind of sounds coming out of uh, Lewis Hamilton's mouth. And then he goes on uh, after the Bahrain testing to, to beat Max Verstappen at that, that same track. So do you take what Lewis has been saying recently with, with a pinch of salt? I wouldn't say I actually take it with a pinch of salt. I think it's more, yeah, you look at history and you kind of work out where one of Mercedes' strengths are solving problems. So we've seen it a couple of years where they do struggle in testing and they say they're struggling. And it's true that it's not going quite as they want, but they work out why within the couple of weeks before the first race, because they're just, you know, they've, they've got so many people working for them, some great resources behind them, great facilities, and they just find ways of fixing the car. And I think they're in a similar position now. Um, the kind of the data from testing shows that there's a very quick car under the skin there, and and if they can exploit that performance, then they're going to be right up there with Red Bull and and Ferrari as they looked good in testing. But if they can't exploit it, which is the problem they've had so far during preseason, then it might take them a little while to be fighting for wins. So it's whether it is like a flick of a switch by the first race, you know, by the time we see them uh, when the lights go out on Sunday, whether that actually does mean, okay, Mercedes are in the mix for a win here. If they're not, it doesn't mean that car doesn't have the potential to be doing it soon after. So um, Lewis is kind of, he's being honest, like the car's not working the way they want, but he's also saying, I'm told there's a really quick car in there. So both him and George Russell have almost talked up the Mercedes potential, but talked down where it is right now. So uh, yeah, it's kind of, it could go one or two ways there. And yeah, the skeptics will be having a field day if they get it right by the first race. <laughs> Big time. Um, 
looking forward to next season already of trying to survive and it hasn't even kicked <laughs> off. Um, Rebecca, I guess like Chris mentioned George Russell's name there and, and it's an interesting dynamic that, that Lewis Hamilton all of a sudden, you know, you think of Valtteri Bottas as, as a teammate who, who literally is that. He was an excellent teammate and someone who, you know, even sacrificed his own position in, in, in Silverstone last year, for example, for Lewis. And there were many more examples of that. And all of a sudden you have a, an exciting young driver in George Russell coming in uh, who maybe you feel won't be as willing to kind of step aside and, and I guess, give Lewis the limelight. Like, do you think Lewis will relish, relish this challenge of, of maybe having a driver that is perhaps going to compete more often with him as opposed to being that, that excellent, dutiful teammate? Well, probably the sceptics will roll their eyes at this, but I don't actually think Lewis Hamilton cares that much who his teammate is. He sort of believes that he can beat everyone and, Mercedes are always quick to say to you, he never asked for number one status. He's never been given it. He's always free to race. We saw it in 2016 with Nico Rosberg. Um, and so he just wants someone who is going to be there for him or for the team or however it works. We know Toto Wolf, the Mercedes team principal, he described Valtteri Bottas as the perfect wingman, which didn't particularly go down well with Finn. He didn't really like that description. But he did eventually accept his role within the team. He was there to support Lewis Hamilton. And he didn't really do it. He had his worst season actually ever last um, with Mercedes. Of the five years he was with them, his worst was last year. Um, and that that mattered actually. And I think that was a contributing factor to you know, Hamilton not winning the championship and, you know, Perez on the other side for Red Bull with Verstappen, you know, you do need a strong teammate. You know, this is very much a team sport, regardless of what people think. It's not just man and machine. There are 2000 people in Mercedes, for example, slightly less than Red Bull um, and they all matter. And George Russell is going to be really interesting to watch because he's 24. We know he's very good. We've seen him drive in this Mercedes before. Well, sort of two years ago when he recovered for um, Lewis Hamilton when he had COVID. He's fast. He's really fast. He is a known champion. He won F3. He won F2. So we know his pedigree. We know his credentials. But there is also the long game to play. So Hamilton only has two years left on his contract. George Russell knows if he plays it smart, he could be the heir apparent. He is the next Great Britain, if you want to put it like that. So, you know, we've got Landon Norris as well. Um, But if he's smart about this and if he doesn't ruffle too many feathers this year, and I don't think he will, I think he is a very smart racer. Um, I think he could be the perfect teammate to Hamilton for a couple of years. And then I think he'll get a shot at it. Like 100%. And and Chris, like on that, on George Russell, like even in the Drive to Survive, um, one of the episodes, I I really found it fascinating to to hear George describe the walk to the end of the paddock as a walk of shame for for the drivers at the... Uh, the lower teams, you know, being a Williams driver, he had to walk past all of the other teams uh, to get to the end. And now he's got the shortest walk on the paddock to, to the Mercedes uh, area. Um, I, like you see the raw emotion in, in George Russell as well last year. I think it was in Budapest when Latifi was P9 or P8, Russell was P9. Um, and it meant so much to him that the, the, the team had put so much into it. But some people said maybe Russell could have waited another year perhaps before making this big move to Mercedes. But would you agree that he seems ready at this particular moment in time to, to play for to to, uh, to drive for Mercedes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'd done three years at Williams where he'd he'd shown that he had the potential to be uh, a 
potentially a world champion, but certainly someone who could win races for Mercedes. And there'd been still a few errors that he was having to iron out. I remember Imola a couple of years ago when he crashed behind the safety car and he was on for points for Williams then. Um, but it's funny you mentioned Budapest. I think that actually showed a really good mindset that Mercedes wanted to see because he was so happy for Williams doing well. It didn't matter to him that Latifi actually beat him. Um, I mean, it probably did, but his overriding emotion was it's great that Williams finally has points because they hadn't been scoring points when he'd been there. He'd picked up his first points for the team. He just said very early in that race over team radio, like, if you need to sacrifice my race for Nicky, do it. Like, he's in a really strong position because from the, the way the race started, Latifi ended up, I think, in third place at one stage very early on. So Russell kind of saying that the bigger picture here is what happens for the team. And I think that's partly from self-confidence of that, you know, you know how good I am. I don't need to prove it with one race result. We need to take opportunities when they come. Taking that to Mercedes is perfect. That's what Toto Wolf is going to want to see. Like Rebecca said, the way that Valtteri did that and played for the team when he was there alongside Lewis was exactly what Mercedes needed and wanted and was a big part of their Constructors' Championship successes. So George, I think, will do the same. And I think he's got the raw pace, the talent and the potential. He's still got time to develop. And Lewis is still at the top of his game. So they don't need George to be on Lewis's level straight away. It'd be great if he was, but he does have a bit of time just to find those little extra bits um, that will make him a future team leader for that team uh, at that age. So uh, I think it's actually the perfect time for him to step up, especially with new regulations, resets the field slightly. So a good time to change teams. I I think it all comes together quite nicely for George. But Chris, just on, you know, in Budapest, that radio message, the cynic in me ever so slightly thinks that message was for the benefit of Mercedes because we know now he signed his contract about a week later. It wasn't announced for a couple of months, but, you know, every, there's always someone listening, isn't there? Yeah, I actually asked him that question uh, in Spa, the next race. I had an interview with him and said that. I was like, oh, you knew what you were doing, though, didn't you? You were, you were smart with that. But he said, no, legitimately, it was partly because he didn't actually realise where he was in the race, how it was going to pan out for him and thought he didn't really have a shot at points. I think if he'd known how the race would have finished then maybe he might not have even said it, but he felt like he had nothing to lose at that stage. And, you know, he's in a sense, it then put him back in the story. You know, Latifi did finish ahead of him, but George had this positive that came from that race too. So he's always been a shrewd operator like that. Yeah, like, I, I, I love that. I mean, you forget that sometimes the messages over the car radio aren't just for for their own teams. You know, sometimes there are hidden messages in there that we have to kind of decipher. Um, like those those new rules, Rebecca, that Chris mentioned, um, I guess for, in layman's terms, for the for the the sofa Formula One fan who's, who's sitting at home now and trying to understand the dirty air and car design and poor poising and, and and we saw even the the mad videos down the straight. I think it was with Kevin Magnussen talking about having a sore neck um, in testing in Bahrain. I think it was Charles Leclerc. Uh, certainly one of the Ferraris. Uh, there was a lovely slow motion video of just the car bouncing up and down on the track on the straight. Um, so maybe people who don't quite understand or follow these new rules, what are they and, and maybe how will they impact the competitiveness of, of this season? I'm glad you came to me for this one, thanks. Um, <laughs> I had to take someone. <laughs> the, the, the very um, simple way of explaining it is every single new part of the new design car is about making it easier to get closer to the car in front of you. And to put it in layman's terms, I suppose, it's all about turbulence, the turbulence that the cars create. So, you know, like if you're on a plane, it's very bumpy. It's very uncomfortable. Um, I wouldn't recommend you know, putting two 737s racing each other, but it's that dirty air that you're going through that it makes it really difficult. And it's basically pushing the car behind back. So that car can't get close enough to launch an attack. And so these new cars are all designed about 
pushing all that dirty air that gets created by these cars up and away so that the car behind is in clean air and then can get much closer and then can launch an attack. Everything that has been done for this year is all about making it better, closer racing. Does that make sense? <laughs> Completely. And, and I guess that the Formula One budget cap era is now upon us as well, where naturally uh, finance, finances, uh, you know, getting closer, makes teams, I guess, finish closer. It, it can only be a good thing for the sport, really. It's a bit of a lag effect, though, on this budget cap, because it came in last year, $145 million. It's down to $140 million. But these regulations have been around for a while. So the big teams with the bigger resources, the bigger budgets, they will have started work on these cars a long, long, long time ago. Um, Obviously, Mercedes and Red Bull slightly disadvantaged last year because they couldn't quite change the 2022 car, maybe as early as they would have liked, like Ferrari and McLaren did. But they will have still have thrown big money at this before the budget caps came in. So I think it's going to take a couple of years until we see it kind of levelling out a little bit more. So don't be surprised that it's still Mercedes and Red Bull this year. Yeah, for sure. And and we do have to talk about Ferrari though, uh, and Chris. And and like, I, I think since the moment this this car was unveiled, there was a lot of excitement and people saying this is this could potentially be the car to beat. But uh, as Rebecca says, it's, it's not easy to break into that top two of Mercedes and Red Bull. But I mean, Leclerc and Sainz near the top of testing every single day in terms of the numbers. Um, there is that big weight, weight of expectation we know with Ferrari, but how close could they be this year? If it's based on how good the car looks just visually, they'll, <laughs> they'll walk the championship because I think they've got the best looking car. They've got the best looking livery. I mean, a lot of people said that when it when it came out. It's a little bit retro look to the car and uh, a very unique side pod design that just looks cool. That's one of the things that's been great about this year, actually. There's... The, the the rules that um, Rebecca was just talking about um, are very restricted as well. Um, but we've actually still seen some cool innovation between all the cars. They all look very different in certain areas. So that's been a, a really nice kind of aspect that we didn't expect. And hopefully it will lead to still a, a close field. But the Ferrari caught the eye at first and then people started seeing other cars being launched and thought, oh, maybe Ferrari have got this wrong. Um, they've clearly gone in one spe- set direction. But as soon as the car hit the track, hit testing, it looked really settled, really planted, ran very consistently, in new regulations, that's a big thing. To have a reliable car that does what you want it to do from the start is a good place to be. So if Ferrari are going to be strong, they need to capitalise now at the start of the season because there's every chance, you know, someone like Mercedes, as we talked about earlier in the show, will get their problems solved. McLaren had a lot of reliability issues in the final test in Bahrain, but they looked quick in the first test and, and looked kind of a threat to Ferrari maybe at that stage. So if they can get their car running cleanly as well then they could be a, a kind of in the mix at the at the front with the other two slash three teams but Ferrari have the resource that Rebecca talked about they've got the drivers uh, I think in Leclerc is blindingly quick over one lap at times and his racecraft can be excellent he still makes the odd mistake or just has the odd slight dip that's something that Carlos Sainz doesn't seem to have he just seems to be metronomic in the way he um, bashes out performances really really impressive and the two of them fit together really well get on well they're at similar stages of their career now if they've got a race winning car we'll see how long they, they're harmonious but um, I think Ferrari kind of have all the ingredients in place and they have the facilities another thing with the budget cap era is okay, you might now need to invest in the facilities to match the big teams because you can spend the same amount each year. But that takes time as well. There's another lag there that, that Rebecca was talking about. So you then have to wait a couple of years until new aspects of uh, headquarters come online. McLaren are getting a new wind tunnel, but that's not ready yet. That takes a lot of time. So Ferrari have all the ingredients in place to, to be strong. And if anyone's going to challenge the top two this year, it's going to be them. 
that, that it makes it really exciting as as a as a Formula One fan. And Rebecca, to pick up on something you mentioned there a moment ago on on Ferrari, um, that some people might might not think about is the fact that Ferrari were were out of contention. Uh, I guess you could say so early last season that unlike Mercedes and Red Bull, they had time, as you said, to work on this car. So uh, realistically, for for teams fully out of contention in terms of constructors or drivers championships uh, early on in the season, it does give them that little bit of an advantage for the next year. Yeah, I mean, they were battling with McLaren for a while and McLaren looked like they were going to take the third spot. But then the Ferrari came back and as Chris touched on there, they've got, you know, Ferrari probably arguably have one of the most exciting driver lineups, Michelle Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. And so they just sort of left their drivers to it and then they can switch their focus. And and that does give them a big jump on other teams. And we saw it with Haas actually as well, the American team that's obviously had a lot of issues recently and been in the news for its Russian sponsor and Russian driver, Nikita Mazepin. But Haas didn't even bother with their 2021 car. They just went straight to 2022. And actually they've benefited from that. And we saw that in testing that they had a few issues here and there. They didn't even make the first morning, but that wasn't their fault. That was a freight delay. Um, but they looked strong and they seem to have already benefited from having switched quite early on. And Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal, he actually joked at the end of last year and it was kind of a half joke sort of thinking to himself, well, crikey, this might actually be right. But he said, well, you know, Ferrari probably going to win it next year because we've been so busy fighting Mercedes. And there was, an, you know, the undercurrent of truth to that. And so it will be really interesting this year to see where they are placed because it's good for the sport. It's good for everybody if, if Ferrari are back at the front and fighting. For sure. Uh, we might pick up on McLaren in a second, but uh, Chris Rebecca's brought up Haas there and and really on and off the track, Haas have had plenty of talking points over the last couple of weeks. Um, might just start with the with the off-track stuff. And and we know that after the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, they've gone on to cut this title partnership with Yorl Kali, uh, the driver contract of Nikita Mazepin, and of course cut the ties with, with uh, Nikita's father, Dimitri, as well, who uh, has since been sanctioned by the EU as well. Um, but but has it has to be said moved very fast here. Yeah, I was actually impressed with it. It's something that Formula One in general as a sport doesn't seem to do that often. Uh, and the the first kind of strong stance came from Sebastian Vettel on the day that Russia invaded. And he said that he wouldn't go and race in the Russian Grand Prix if it stayed on the calendar and immediately set his stall out and kind of said to Formula One, you've got to take action here because th- there's no grey area. There's no way that you're going to get people. You, can, you can't convince a bunch of drivers to go and race uh, in that case. He kind of got the ball rolling anyway. But behind the scenes, yeah, we weren't actually hearing from Haas too much because Gunter Steiner was in back-to-back meetings, calls, speaking to people all over the world because Haas are owned by Gene Haas, who is based in California or, or based out in the US. So but even with the time zone difference, he's having to wait for people to wake up and then speak to different partners of the team. But they instantly took the branding off the car and off the motorhome and off the trucks, uh, the Oralkali branding. So they, they kind of made the car plain. Matzepin ran one more day in the Barcelona test because he was already there. He was already scheduled to. Uh, and then as soon as that was over, they really got to work on, okay, what do we do moving forward? And it's a big, big hole to fill in terms of financial backing uh, by dropping that title sponsor. So a lot of money that came to the team from that. They, they actually relied on it a couple of years ago. With COVID, the team nearly went bust. There was every opportunity that they were going to go under and they had to find significant sponsorship. And they found that in the form of Matzepin and Oralkali. So uh, by cutting those ties... They were kind of saying, right, we've got to find that that money again, essentially. But the team's in a much stronger place. Like Rebecca said, they'd thrown everything at 2022, written off 2021, taken advantage of regulation changes that actually mean you're, it's almost like a draft system. You get more time to develop your car in terms of aerodynamic testing if you're 
at the back of the grid than if you're at the front. It's something Ferrari benefited from by having such a bad 2020 when they finished, I think, seventh in the championship. So from there, they had more time, way more time than the big teams at the front. Haas did the same. They knew they'd be strong this year. They knew they're in a better proposition. So team owner Gene Haas has gone, okay, like this, this looks like a brighter future for the team. It looks like we'll be more competitive. Drivers will want to drive for us. Partners will want to get on board, especially because we now don't have ties to Russia. And he said, okay, I'll, short, I'll, I'll fund that shortfall for as long as it takes if needed, potentially permanently, but said, okay, we can, we can cut those ties. And so the team sort of decided to cut ties with Nikita Matsupin and Matsupin then did a press conference a few days later saying that this was so unfair. They didn't tell me, they didn't come to me and say up front that they were going to do this. Um, and he tried to set up a foundation called We Compete As One. Um, which was a, a terribly chosen name um, for athletes that are being hampered by global situations and political situations that mean they can't compete. And by the end of that day, uh, Matt Spin himself, Nikita, the driver, was also sanctioned because of his links to his father and his links to Putin. So, I mean, it was definitely a situation where they needed to cut all ties cleanly. Clearly, the team knew this even more than we did, I guess, um, from what they could see internally. And and I think they reacted really, really smartly and quickly because it was at a time that they needed full focus on the new season and they couldn't have it. But they went with everything they had in terms of, OK, we need to completely clean, clean the slate here and start again, even though it puts a lot of work on our desk. There's, there's no grey area here either. And I was really impressed by the way they handled that. Was with the... Um, Chris is absolutely right about how the most impressive thing I thought was when those EU sanctions came out, there was a line in it that said that uh, Dmitry Mazepin had met with Putin. He was one of 36 people who had met with Putin that day. So it was the day after the invasion of Ukraine. And that evening, Haas decided they were going to remove all branding. So full credit to Haas. They really moved very quickly. Uh, and they even moved quickly, Rebecca, uh, on track as well. And uh, like Chris mentioned, the, f- the financial backing, I guess, that, that Gene Haas has managed to sort out. And it, like when you see someone like Kevin Magnussen come back into the team with with a multi-year contract, um, Clearly, that that points to to financial security at some level, but it has to be said, Magnussen and, and Mick Schumacher on the track and testing, uh, really, really impressive. Like, is it time for for everyone who is a Gunther Steiner fan after Drive to Survive to get to get excited about this season because of what we're seeing in testing, or is it play it cool and, and just see how they get on in the early part of the season? I think we're all going to sign a fan. So um, I think we can get a little bit excited. When Kevin Magnussen went fastest on one of the days, um, they had, um, as I mentioned, Hass had missed that morning. And so they got a couple of hours after at the end of each day to kind of add on to it. Um, and so they had an extra hour. It was on the Thursday, I believe. And uh, in the evening, and Kevin Magnussen was in the car and he set the fastest lap. And that was brilliant to see. And, you know, going back to what we were saying, Hass do look strong. They do look like they can compete. And I mean, they're owned by a billionaire. So the financial hole was always had potential to be plugged and couldn't sign us on a great job with that team, you know, switching early to this year and the setup and because they're not a big team and, but they've got very good people on board, great mechanics, engineers, very, very bright people. And that's how they've been able to turn it around. And Kevin Magnuson is a very popular driver. It was not a popular decision to replace him with Mazepin in the first place. So to see him coming back is really good. It's also really good for the sport to see a driver who deserves to be there rather than someone who's paying to be there. And I think that's really important because this, it's a bad look when the billionaires are buying their son's seats or entire teams. And, and I don't think that's the direction the sport should be going in. And to be, you know, give F1 credit, they are trying to make it more affordable. So that's not the case. And people are winning seats on um, merits rather than credit. Um, 
So, yeah, it's really exciting. It's great to have Kevin Magnussen back. And, and it's also great to have another driver of his experience who isn't afraid to say how he really feels. But I also think he's a really good benchmark for Mick Schumacher because Mick, you know, Mazepin was was not great, let's be honest. Um, and so it'll be, and I think it'll be much better for Mick Schumacher's career as well because you can, you need to be learning from really good drivers from experience. And now he'll have that. He will come on along as well. When we when we mention good uh, driver partnerships, uh, I guess one of the more likable anyway is is that at McLaren with with Daniel Ricciardo and, and Lando Norris, Chris. And uh, I know Ricciardo probably didn't have the the season he wanted last year, albeit Monza and that McLaren one two was was one of the highlights of the season for many people. And um, when you look at the testing, McLaren, the team that completed the, the fewest laps of any team in in Bahrain, um, and then you had Daniel Ricciardo, of course, uh, suffering from COVID, uh, like. Is that is that is that a thing for McLaren fans to be worried about? Because you know, do do drivers need time in the car? Can they come in maybe undercooked, a little bit less prepared than other drivers? Uh, given that Ricardo hasn't had that time in the cockpit, that say for example, Lando Norris has. Yeah, it certainly will affect him at the first race. He, he's kind of going to be trying to limit the damage in terms of how much behind preparations he is compared to Lando because some of it is kind of be systems or the way the car reacts in certain scenarios. He's not driven that car on this track, whereas every other driver will have had quite a lot of experience of the Bahrain circuit in these cars going into the first race. If we were going to another circuit, it would hurt him less. He would have still had less preparation time, but it's the fact that it's direct preparation on the right, on the same track, which is going to, I think, hurt him a little bit more, but that will only be really for one weekend. Um, He'll probably then feel like he's in the same place as everyone else by the end of the race weekend or close to it. And then certainly I think by the end of the Saudi race, uh, the second race of the season, he'll be kind of fully back up to speed. But the flip side is the bigger problems for McLaren was the lack of running that they did in general. Like Lando Norris had no problems doing uh, all three days of testing because they only did 200 laps in total. That's less than 70 laps a day. Now, a lot of drivers do that in a half day when they're sharing the day. Um, I think Daniel Ricciardo did more than that in the first test on his own. You know, there's, It was a, a poor final test for McLaren. They had a lot of trouble with their brakes, overheating, and it meant that they didn't do a lot of long running. So they learned only kind of in small snippets about their car. And they're going to need to have found fixes like quickly. Fortunately for them, in some senses, um, the way the race timing is here in Bahrain, it's in the evening, it's when it's darker, it's when it's cooler. So that might save them a little bit. Same with Saudi as well, being a night race. So they've probably got a few more weeks to try and solve those issues. But it, it's definitely put them on the back foot. They've gone from a team that you probably would have put in the mix in terms of maybe threatening Red Bull and Mercedes, certainly on a par with Ferrari at the end of the first test and thought they'd have stayed there in the second week to clearly dropping behind those those front three because they just couldn't run the car and, and get data, get knowledge, get their setup right, they're, they're going to be on the back foot a bit more. So almost a perfect storm that's of, of the bad case for Ricardo. For Norris, he, you know, he was very impressive last year. He drove what was a difficult car very, very well. And I think he'll probably be in a similar situation this year. So as long as the car is reliable um, for Sunday's race, then I think we'll see Norris outperforming Ricardo quite comfortably. One of the great things, Rebecca, about the, the increased interest uh, or perceived increased interest anyway in, in Formula One over the last couple of years has been the fact that people don't just care about the top teams. They care about the, the drivers right down the pecking order, the teams that are maybe battling for, for midfield positions. There seems to be interest right across um, right across the, the, the driver lineup. Um, like even if you look at the battle of the midfield, so Alpine, for example, um, Esteban Ocon, very impressive on, on day two of, of testing in Bahrain. He's got the experienced uh, Fernando Alonso alongside him as well. Um, that's one team that will be looking to push to the next level, given that they've they've had a year, uh, you know, together already. 
Yeah, and they obviously won a race as well. I mean, that, that was great. Um, and then Ocon was in the mix in um, Saudi for a while um, before it all blew up, as it did eventually. Um, yeah, Alpina are really, they have a lot of potential and they certainly have um, a good, very good driver pairing in Fernando Alonso, double world champion, and Ocon as well. Um, they just haven't seemed to quite find that sweet spot of making that car work. The team isn't quite where it should be yet perhaps slightly underwhelming at times in testing um it's you know they've, they've had quite a lot of change obviously they switched over to being called alpine from renault's the pushing their sports brand the with structurally they've all changed internally the management structures all changed and new people coming in um and so i think they just need a bit of time to settle um i i have no idea if they'll win a race so i wouldn't have predicted it last year so i i won't dare say anything about this year um, but I do feel like they should be further up the grid than they are. Um, and they have the likes of Alonso, who one of the great things about having really experienced drivers, and this is the same for Aston Martin as well with Sebastian Vettel, full-time world champion, is the feedback that these drivers can give to the teams brings on the car so much. And this will be really important for Haas as well with Kevin Magnussen. It's those those feelings that the drivers have that you can't even see in the data, the engineers would have no idea that things needed to change. Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes always say this about Lewis Hamilton. It's those like minute details that the engineers wouldn't even know to look for. And then the driver says something and then they look and they say, oh, right. And then they can tweak the car slightly. So Alpine will benefit from that and a couple of other teams, as I mentioned, but they should really be pushing a bit further forward than where they are. Uh, like Chris, on the, on the flip side of that, I guess, you have, you have a team lineup in, in Alfa Romeo that's completely new. You have Valtteri Bottas, of course, uh, massively experienced, but then you have the young Chinese driver, Guan Yu Zhu, coming in as well, undoubtedly going to be do huge things for interest in the sport in China um, and in the Far East, generally speaking. But is it tough for, for, a, for a new driver pairing in a new team to get up to speed quickly with, with the new team and the surroundings? Like, is it quite rare to see drivers storm up the field in their debut season when they've, when they've had no time together? It, it can be. It depends in terms of, like, you know, we've got a huge regulation change now, so the team's trying to learn a lot about the car at the same time as learn about the drivers. It's why it's sometimes good to have at least one piece of continuity in there. Um, if, if you're the new driver and there's an existing one, you've got your benchmark, you've got someone who's going to be kind of feeding back to the team in a in a consistent way already, and you can slot in alongside them. But having both, they've kind of got to find their places. Uh, I think it's, it, it's quite easy to determine who's going to be playing which role at Alfa Romeo in terms of Valtteri being the more experienced driver, Joe being the the rookie who's got a lot to learn. But he's he's sometimes derided as, you know, because he's from China and he's got a lot of potential backing behind him. It wasn't direct funding, but the potential that that opens up in that market. Um, and the fact that he got the seat over Oscar Piastri, both of them are Alpine juniors and Piastri won the Formula 2 championship. Joe had been in there for a few years and didn't, but he still won a lot of races and was in the title mix for a couple of years. He's He's a good driver he's just maybe not at the, the very top level at the moment that you want to see going into formula one but he might have some time to kind of develop and prove himself and i actually think at alfa romeo where the pressure's probably off a bit alongside valtteri who i think is a really good benchmark for him it's quite a nice pairing for joe to go into they've created a good environment for him there it's whether valtteri kind of steps up a level again now that he gets to lead a team coming from mercedes gets a bit of a new lease of life i think that's going to be the key how quickly he settles how quickly he then kind of directs the team the way he wants, because in a sense, he hasn't had to do that. He came from Williams before Mercedes, where he was a young driver learning the ropes alongside Felipe Massa, impressed with his pace, but then went to Mercedes where he largely had to play the number two role, gained some great experience there, but he never really had to be the guy to lead the team. So this is a new opportunity for him and it depends how he takes to that. But 
I'd expect him to take pretty well to it. He's got a good temperament. Um, he's largely pretty cool, calm and collected in terms of the way he approaches his racing. He seems very settled and happy off the track too. So I, I think it's actually going to work quite well for Alfa Romeo. It, it just, again, depends, you know, for every driver, it's whether you've got the machinery to be able to show it. And as Rebecca said, there's so many teams where we can pick out at least one experienced driver that can really push them forward, that can help with the development. Um, there's not really a weak lineup on the grid and there's not really now a weak team on the grid in terms of the money they've got or the facilities they've got, the partnerships, you know, as Rebecca said, Haas are small, but they're very efficient and they've got good partnership with Ferrari. It's really hard to pick out, you know, the team that should be last and the team that should be doing better in the sense that Alpine definitely should be near the sharp end, but so should Aston Martin with the money they've got and the drivers they've got. And you could say, well, so should Alpha Tauri with Pierre Gasly and his experience now, the Red Bull link they've got. So should Alfa Romeo with the Ferrari link and Bottas and the money they have behind them. Like there's so many teams that are well-placed. So some of them will impress, I guess, and some will really disappoint. But it, I think it's actually one of the most competitive grids we've had ever. Yeah, sure. It's hard to argue against that. Um, before we get your final uh, predictions, guys, for the for the how the season might pan out, uh, Rebecca, we have to talk briefly about um, Max Verstappen, Red Bull, probably left testing in, in Bahrain, the happiest of any team, this this new aerodynamic kit on the car as well. Uh, we, we'll see more in qualifying this afternoon uh, exactly how they're faring and feeling, uh, both Verstappen and Perez heading into this this season. But really, from Max's point of view, he's a world champion now. He's got that monkey off his back. Uh, Christian Horner and Toto Wolff can continue to do their theatrics and uh, uh, smack talk in the background. But really, uh, Max looks ready to give this season another another whirl. Yeah, he does. Talking to Christian Horner about it the other week and he was and I asked him directly, you know, how does have winning world championship affect Max Verstappen? And Horner just said it doesn't. He's exactly the same person, you know, perhaps there's a little bit less pressure because he's achieved the goal that he's always wanted. And Verstappen said it himself, you know, I'm done. Like I've all I've wanted in life was to win a world championship. If I win more, great, but uh, it was only the one I was searching for. I don't know how much I believe that. You know, he's coming into this year with the one on his car, as is the world champion's rights. And we know Lewis Hamilton never did. He always raced under 44. But Max Verstappen is very much coming in with a statement. He's got a new helmet. He's got a gold star on it. You know, he is coming in saying, I'm the world champion. I mean, he's very much putting a target on his own back if it wasn't there already. Um, but it's really exciting because, as you say, he came into that last day. Red Bull came into that last day of testing um, a couple of weeks ago. And they had this new package. We'd all been expecting it. They unveiled it. It worked. He went quickest. Uh, he looks really comfortable in the car. He seems very calm. Um, he just seems to be really, really loving life at the moment. And it will be really interesting to see how he does race because it is the question we're all asking, you know, is the monkey off his back? Will he slightly change his racing style? Because, you know, he's known for being aggressive, perhaps not quite judging that line between risk and reward um, as perhaps he should. Going for openings that maybe the door is ajar rather than, you know, and he just finding gaps that perhaps weren't there. Will he do that? Will he push so much this year or... Or will he take a more cautious approach? I suspect not. I don't suspect his driving will really change that much. Um, but it'll be really fascinating to see how now having this number one on his car will, will affect him. Very finally, guys, um, <clears throat> it's predictions time. And look, I promise not to play these predictions back to you at the end of the season, unless you are, of course, uh, proven proven very right. Because um, uh, it's, to, it's tough to call. But if each of you had to pick at this moment in time, heading into the, the first race of the season in Bahrain, the Constructors' Championship, the Drivers' Championship, and maybe a surprise race winner at some point in the season. Uh, Rebecca, we'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's not easy. 
No, it's not. But sort of having known Lewis Hamilton for a few years now, I would probably put a couple of quid on him because adversity and losing does things to him. Like he is so driven by that. And, you know, he came out and he said the other week when he spoke for the first time after having the winter off, you know, if you thought I was good at the end of last year, you know, you've not not seen anything yet. And and you kind of believe him. He's not just saying it like it's sort of I wouldn't be at all surprised, even though he's saying he can't compete for wins now. I mean, he didn't win every race last year either. um, And he was still there at the final race. So I wouldn't be I'd put a couple of quid on Hamilton, maybe Um, constructors. Oh, gosh. You know, Red Bull do look really good. Um, Maybe they'll do it this year and they'll stop the run that Mercedes have enjoyed for eight years. And surprise winner, I will put money on Alonso. Oh, I like it. I like it. Chris, where are you headed? So uh, I'm kind of doing half agreement with uh, Clancy on this one. I'm going with, yeah, I think Red Bull look just so settled. The car looked quick. They didn't show everything that they've got. Um, they've got a great aero team that I think have really taken to these new regulations. And because Mercedes have some work to do, if there's one team they don't want to be playing catch up against, it's Red Bull. So I'm, I'm going to go with Red Bull to win the constructors. And just by default, almost from that position, I'm going to go with Max to win the drivers' championship again. I just think, I think Re- Rebecca's right. Like Lewis is at his best when he when his back's against the wall. And I think we'll see some amazing performances from him this year. But you can't perform miracles if the car's not quite there. And I just wonder if Red Bull are starting with enough of an advantage to to maybe maintain it. Uh, the surprise winner is the tough one. That's the one I'm really struggling with. Um, but I'm going to go with a real outsider. And I'm going to go Valtteri Bottas and an Alfa Romeo. Um, I just, I can't quite tell. I think they were showboating at the end of testing. But we've had some wild races and we've got 23 this year. So there's every chance for a, a, a crazy race somewhere. And I just feel like that might might play into his hands. If he's just having a chilled afternoon where he stays out of trouble, he might he might pick one up. Brilliant. Well, listen, I'm going to get a few quid on a, on a Bottas and Alonso win somewhere in the season, I think, after that. Uh, but listen, guys, it's it's been an absolute pleasure uh, looking ahead to this season with you. No doubt we'll check in. Uh, across the season but listen enjoy enjoy Bahrain qualifying today enjoy the, the race tomorrow Chris Medlin and Rebecca Clancy thank you very much thank you thanks many guys this is Off The Wall Saturday on News Talk back with OTB Football Saturday very shortly